the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Revelation. The fact of the matter is the Bible says in Revelation that when we come before the Lord, we cast our crowns at His feet because we're undone. So as, as many crowns as you might be given, none of us will hold on to it because we're going to be looking at Jesus and feel so, you know, so small in the presence of the glory of God that we're going to be casting our crowns at His feet. And so it's a wonderful temporary thing that God gives us, but we end up at the end of the day giving it back to him. When you stand before Christ, any sense of pride in your own good or accomplishments will be stripped away. In the light of his righteousness, the best of human accomplishments seem inconsequential. There are some Christians who focus much of their life on earning jewels for their crown in heaven. And while their works are good by human standards, Pastor Gary will remind us that those crowns will all be laid down at the feet of Jesus when we see that he's worthy of all the glory. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Revelation chapter 2 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. They might have been materially poor, but they were spiritually rich. And the same is true for us. It doesn't matter what's in your bank account. Because true wealth is being rich in Christ. That, that's true value, is being rich in Christ. Because you might lose everything materially. It's okay. You're still wealthy in the Lord. You're still rich in Christ. And Paul, throughout his letters, spoke of different kinds of spiritual riches that we have in the Lord. For example, he talked about the riches of his kindness in Romans 2, verse 4. Paul wrote about the riches of his glory in Romans 9, verse 3. He talked about the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God in Romans 11.33. He talked about the riches of God's grace in Ephesians 1.7. He mentions the riches of His glorious inheritance in Ephesians 1.18. And in general, he talked about the unsearchable riches of Christ in Ephesians 3 and verse 8. And so we're all rich in the Lord. And so Jesus was reminding the people there in Smyrna, hey, you, you might be you know, materially impoverished, but, but with me, you have everything that you need. You are rich in the Lord. And so he goes on to say there, but he says, I know the blasphemy, circle that word, of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Now, he's talking about a group of Jews in the day known as Judaizers. And Judaizers were those who were Jewish believers in Jesus, but who believed 
that salvation was not just believing in Jesus alone, but it was also believing in Jesus and doing good works. And whenever you add anything to the simplicity of the message that Jesus Christ died for all and whoever puts their faith in Jesus shall be saved, whenever you add anything to that, you've corrupted the message of the gospel. And you've now taken it from a grace-oriented salvation to a man's works-oriented effort. And the Judaizers were doing that. And Jesus said there, it's blasphemy. It's blasphemy. That's what he calls it. It's blasphemy because those who say that they're Jews and they're not, they're Judaizers. But, but, they're, but they're not really representing the, the message of the gospel. They're not really mes- uh, representing grace. Uh, they're, they're elevating works over grace. And he says, therefore, it's like it's the synagogue of Satan because Satan inspires the things that are in conflict with the message of the gospel. Every heretical teaching, every uh, uh, cultic a heretical teaching, is really, at the end of the day, it's inspired by Satan. Because Satan wants none to be saved. He doesn't want you to come to the, to the knowledge of, of salvation through faith in Jesus. So, so he corrupts that message in every way that he can. And that's why Jesus said it's blasphemous and it's of the synagogue of Satan. He says in verse 10, Do not fear any of those things which, are about, uh, which you are about to suffer. Again, this is the suffering church. Myrrh, it's, it's appropriate here because myrrh only was fragrant when it was crushed. And he says, indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested and that you will have tribulation at small t. It's not the great tribulation yet. For 10 days. Now, what is the 10 days deal? Most Bible scholars believe that it is simply a, a, an allegorical statement for the 10 worst Roman, empire, uh, Roman emperors. Ten days, meaning the ten worst Roman emperors. And I'm, I'll just read you the list real quickly, quicker than you can take notes. But here's some of the things that they did. So it probably refers to, in this order, these are the Roman emperors in this order. Nero, 64 to 68 AD. He burned Rome and he blamed Christians. He crucified and threw Christians into pits with wild animals. He executed Paul and Peter. And as I mentioned, he made Christians into human torches. The second emperor was Domitian, 90 to 96 AD. He killed thousands in Rome, and he banished John, this John, to the island of Patmos. Next to him was Trajan, 104 to 117 AD. He outlawed Christianity. He burned Ignatius at the stake. After him was Marcus Aurelius, 161 to 180 AD. He tortured and beheaded Christians. He killed Justin Martyr. Next to him was Septimus Severus. In 200 to 211 AD, he burned, crucified, and beheaded Christians, and he killed Irenaeus. These are all famous Christians of the early faith. After him was Maximinius, 235 to 237 AD, he executed Christians. After him was Decius, 250 to 253 AD, he tried to wipe out Christianity. He killed Alexander of Jerusalem. After him was Valerian, 257 to 260 AD, tried to wipe out Christianity too, executed the Bishop of Carthage. After him was Aurelian, 270 to 275 A.D., persecuted Christians any way he could. And the tenth one was Diocletian, 303 to 312 A.D. He burned the scriptures, he destroyed churches, he required everyone to sacrifice to Roman gods. So it's probably a veiled reference to the ten worst of the Roman emperors. And he adds there, be faithful until death, and I will give you the crown of life. There are... Five crowns mentioned in the Bible. The crown of life mentioned here in Revelation 2.10, again in James 1.12. Also in 1 Corinthians 9, it speaks of the incorruptible crown. 
In 1 Thessalonians 2, it speaks of the crown of rejoicing. In 2 Timothy 4, it speaks of the crown of righteousness. And in 1 Peter chapter 5, it speaks of the crown of glory. There are different crowns that God says he's going to give us. Don't worry, though. If some of you are like, I hope I get at least one. And others of you are thinking, how am I going to balance five on my head? Shame on you for thinking that. The fact of the matter is the Bible says in Revelation that when we come before the Lord, we cast our crowns at his feet because we're undone. So as, as many crowns as you might be given, none of us will hold on to it because we're going to be looking at Jesus and feel so, you know, so small in the presence of the glory of God that we're going to be casting our crowns at his feet. And so it's a wonderful temporary thing that God gives us, but we end up at the end of the day giving it back to him. And he ends the letter by saying, he who has an ear, let him hear. This is similar to every letter. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. Now you can write in the margin of your Bible there, Revelation 20 verse 14. Uh, In Revelation 20 verse 14, I'll just read it if you want to turn there. It says, then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. So here's what the Bible teaches. If you're born twice, you die once. If you're born once, you die twice. What does that mean? Here's what it means. All of us experience physical birth. We're born once. If you're born again... That's a term that Jesus uses in John chapter 3 when he's speaking to Nicodemus. Nicodemus talks, asks Jesus at night. Jesus comes to Jesus and says, how can a man be you know, um, born again? Jesus says, unless you're born again, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus was talking to Nicodemus about life that we can have through faith in Jesus Christ. When we surrender our life to Jesus, we are, you know, it's, it's a Christian lingo. We're born again, but it's straight out of the Bible. It's John chapter 3. We're born again. We have a spiritual birth. And thus, when we have a spiritual birth, because we put our faith and trust in what Christ did, though our body of flesh may die, our spirit will live forever with the Lord. So if we're born twice, if we have a natural birth and a spiritual birth, we will only experience a physical death. Our body dies, we get a glorified body, and we live forever with the Lord. Okay. But if you're only born once, if you only are born naturally, but you never put your faith and trust in Christ, you die twice. Because you not only die a natural death, like everybody, but the second death is the lake of fire, where those who have rejected Christ, have not put their faith and trust in Christ, will be cast forever. And so people will experience a second death. That's the lake of fire. Nobody has to, though. That's why God has made gracious provision through faith in Jesus to escape death, to escape punishment, to escape what was intended for us, okay? The punishment intended for us. Jesus took upon himself so that if we have faith in him, we can be born twice, but only die once. But if you are, if you are only born once because you don't receive Christ and aren't spiritually reborn, then you experience a second death. And so his promise to the church of Smyrna, his promise to all of us, is that if we overcome, we won't be hurt by the second death. We won't be thrown into the lake of fire. We will experience eternal life being in the presence of the Lord forever. All right. The next church, let's see if we can go on and get through the church of Pergamos. If you notice, verse 12 is the church of Pergamos. So we're heading again in a clockwise direction around our map, and we come now to um, the northern part of of this territory, and we talk about the church of Pergamos. 
It says in verse 12, And to the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword, I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is, and you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have, you have there those who hold to the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and to commit sexual immorality. Thus, you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. There it is again. We talked about it in the letter to Ephesus. Which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. And I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name written, which no one knows except him who receives it. All right, so as we continue on the timeline of church history, now we've moved from Ephesus to Smyrna, we come to the church of Pergamos. The church of Pergamos is a picture of the time period known as the state church, from 312 A.D. to 606 A.D. Again, it was a literal church. But in the timeline of chronology, it paints a picture for us of the time period known as the state church, 312 A.D. to 606 A.D. So in 312 A.D., Constantine made Christianity a state religion, and he permeated it with pagan customs and practices. It ends at 606 A.D. when something happens in church history. It is the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church, and it segues from the church the state church that Constantine put in place into the Roman Catholic Church. Now, this is going to step on a few toes, but I'm just going to tell you what the Bible says, and I'm going to tell you what church history has taught us uh, so that we can understand a perspective of things happening leading up to the second coming of Jesus Christ. Because obviously the Roman Catholic Church is continuing even today, and here are its beginnings. Now, a little bit about Pergamos first before we get into the whole spiritual aspect of of what it represents in church history. Pergamos was a wealthy city. It was located about 20 miles inland. It was not a port city. It's about 20 miles inland from the Aegean Sea. And it was on the bank of the Caucasus River, about 50 miles north of Smyrna. So we've just left Smyrna, gone about 50 miles to the north now. We're in Pergamos. It's the modern city today of Bergama, which was built among the ruins of Pergamos and Bergama has a population today of only about 14,000. The people of Pergamos, as we're going to see reflected in this letter, uh, became self-centered from their accumulated wealth because it was a very wealthy city. They became very self-centered. They became obsessed also with the pursuit of knowledge and wisdom through reading. Nothing against reading, but here's just historically what happened. Pergamos boasted of one of the largest libraries in its day. It had over 200,000 books in Pergamos. It would later, because it was part of the Roman Empire, be given as a gift, all 200,000 books given as a gift by Marcus, uh, Mark Antony to Cleopatra and sent to Egypt. Okay? So because of its vast library, people boasted not only in their wealth, but also in their accumulated knowledge. Pergamos was also known for the invention of something. The Egyptian pharaoh, at one point in history, uh, outlawed the export of papyrus, which was the only uh, parchment for writing on. And so in Pergamos, 
uh, was discovered, was invented by one guy by the name of Eumenes II, paper. Eumenes II realized that paper could be made from the pulp of wood. And so one of the, one of the uh, uh, greatest commodities of Pergamos was paper. And that's why they became so wealthy, because they exported paper. They invented it, uh, they distributed it, they exported it. And so much of the city's wealth is attributed to the invention of paper that happened right there in Pergamos. The spiritual climate of Pergamos was polytheistic. Again, this is still part of the Roman Empire. And a large 40-foot statue of the Greek god Zeus was situated atop an 800-foot high mountain there in the middle of the city. And it was unearthed by a German engineer by the name of Karl Heumann in 1878, and today it is on display in East Berlin. But as a result of this statue, this great statue to Zeus, uh, the city was very polytheistic. They also worshipped Athena, Dionysius, and uh, Asclepius. Asclepius was the god of medicine, represented even today by a serpent on a staff. And what's important about Pergamos is the Greek word that is the root of the name Pergamos, gamos, G-A-M-O-S, gamos. That word is found in our English vocabulary related to marriage. Monogamy, monogamos, is to be married to one person. Polygamy, polygamos, is to be married to many people, right? And so gamos is the root word for marriage, What is interesting about Pergamos is the indictment against them, you'll see here, is that the church had married the world. It was a very carnal time in church history where they had um, adopted worldly practices and they brought them into church practices. And, And thus, the state church, which Constantine started, uh, became much more Roman-looking than it did Christian-looking. Is everybody tracking with me? This becomes the, the beginning of the Roman Catholic Church. Now, let me just back up a little bit and talk uh, briefly about uh, Constantine, because this is important understanding what's going on here in church history. In 312 AD, Constantine had an epiphany, and he writes about it. And we don't know if it was legit or not, but giving the benefit of the doubt that it was legit, he just took it to a wrong extreme. In 312 AD, he had a vision. When Constantine went out to war, he had a vision of a cross, a fiery cross, he he says, that he saw in the sky. And he heard in Latin the words, in this sign, conquer. So he started conquering in in the name of Christ and not a good thing. And so he took this whole epiphany and this vision to heart, and he decided that Christ would not only be his Savior, but he would mandate Christianity for the entire Roman Empire. He would require everybody to become a Christian. Now, at first, you might think, wow, that's pretty cool. I mean, for, for, you know, Christianity to not only, you know, go from Christians being persecuted, which happened right up until when Constantine has this epiphany. Christians were being martyred by, by the tens of thousands, by, mil, by the millions. Again, six million in just the second century. To, from going from that to getting an elevated status now. You're a Christian 
during the fourth century, now with Constantine, you are living now in an elevated status. You have a protected elevated status as a Christian, which again, might sound pretty cool. The idea that government is actually elevating Christians and keeping them not only safe from being martyred, but elevating them in a social status. But here's obviously the downside to it. You, you tell everybody you got to be a Christian. Who's really a Christian? Who isn't? Because now all of a sudden you have to do it or else the consequences, it's completely flipped. If you were a Christian before Constantine, you're going to be martyred. If you're not a Christian in the days of Constantine, after Constantine, you're going to be persecuted. So everybody's got to get on board and become a Christian. Well, that makes for a lot of fake Christians. I'm just going to be a Christian because that's the, that's the state required thing to do. And, and it takes away the heart. It takes away the heart where people want to come to Christ because they personally love Jesus. Now it's mandated by the government. So on its face, it's like, well, that's pretty cool. But when you realize what, what happens as a result of it being mandated, it's not cool at all. It forces people into a religion rather than a relationship. And over the course of time, it took on more of the Roman culture than it did a Christian culture. And during this particular time period, several practices became introduced into the church. And here are some of them. And they're, they're familiar. But during this time period, between 312 and 606 AD, in the church, they started praying for the dead. Purgatory. The doctrine of purgatory, which is not a biblical doctrine, started during this time period. They also, during this time period, started worshiping saints and angels started worshiping saints and angels. During this time period, they started worshiping Mary, the mother of Jesus. During this time period, priests started wearing robes and clerical collars to separate themselves from the rest of the laity. This is what happened during this time period. And the church entered into this season where the Roman Catholic Church is birthed in 606 AD because these things were leading up to this state religion that was based on a mandate rather than a relationship based on the heart. This is what happened in church history. Now, I'm going to give the summary, and then when we come back next week, um, we'll unpack the whole letter to the church of Pergamos. But here's the title for Jesus in this letter. He's called him who has the sharp two-edged sword. And so, you, you see here, he's coming here with some, he's, he's, he's got a beef against this church. And we'll talk about why exactly, as you might already have picked up. He commends them, though, that they have not renounced their faith despite the martyrdom of Antipas. That guy's mentioned there in the letter, as you notice as we read through it. And Antipas is not mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. So he was somebody that Jesus by name commends. This guy was martyred for his faith, and the rest of the church didn't let that death uh, distract them from being true to the faith, many of them. But he has a complaint. His complaint is a marriage of the church and the world, and he calls out specifically two doctrines, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, we'll talk about next week. And he does offer them a reward because he does encourage them to repent in verse 16. Five out of the seven letters, Jesus says, if you repent, you can be rewarded. So there's always hope. There's always hope, folks. And he calls them to repent, and if they do, he offers them the reward of hidden manna, we'll mention what that means next week, and a white stone with a new name. Now, 
You might love the name that you were given by your parents, or you may not. Whether you like your name that you've been given, or you don't, news bulletin, you're getting a new one. As a Christian, you're going to get a new one that only Jesus knows. That's all we have for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. If you'd like to listen to this edition in Revelation again, or if you'd like to explore other messages from Pastor Gary through his Bible teachings, just visit our website, cornerstoneconnection.cc. Or you can download our mobile app to stay connected to the truth of God's Word everywhere you go. It's a great way to have a quiet time anytime. You'll find a link on our website, along with more information about the church behind this ministry, Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. If you're in the area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us. You'll find service times and more information about Cornerstone Chapel at cornerstoneconnection.cc. Is there anything happening in your life right now that we could be praying for? We'd be honored to do that for you. Or is there anything God's doing that deserves some rejoicing? Please let us know. We love that we can interact with our listeners. So send us a quick email and we'll get back to you soon. Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. That's prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. With that, our time with you has come to an end for today. Put a marker where we left off in this final book of the Bible and make plans to join Pastor Gary next time for more. Right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, still you know you're not a General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.